Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Gaming Podcast, a podcast that's serving up a buffet RPG topics and issue through the week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are John Christian, Troy Sandlin, and Catherine Linquist. Everybody say hi. Hello, everybody. So let's break down how each of these podcasts is going to work. There will be four courses to each one. Uh, This one will have an appetizer, a main course, a palate cleanser, and then a dessert. Each course tackles a different angle on the world of RPGs, and we'll cover exactly what those angles are when we get into each segment. You guys ready? Ready. Let's do this. All right. Let's start with our appetizers. So appetizers are our way of getting a pulse on the community. We're going to pick two to three items that have cropped up in the last few weeks from the community. These could be new products, announcements, um, trending things on Twitter, things like that. Um, And uh, just whoever brings one to the table, that's what we're going to talk about. So, John, actually, you have something, uh, a new announcement from Wizards of the Coast that you'd like to mention. I do. The Mythic Odysseys of Theros, which is uh, a campaign setting. I don't know if it's a supplement to the Ravnica or if it's its own campaign setting. You guys might need to help me out a little bit because you may know more about the lore than I do. I know that it is tied to Magic the Gathering, but I don't know if it's... If it's in the same a singular world or it's uh, kind of like um, a supplement to another world. Or I think like it that. is another world. Yeah, I think it this is... is a, it's, a, it's another plane, yes. Gotcha. Well, I know that it, it centers around like a Greek mythology-based um, vibe or, or camp sa- yes. campaign setting. So uh, once again, <clears throat> we're, we're seeing uh, kind of like a wizards doubling down on the the synergy with the magic, the gathering, you know, we already saw the Ravnica campaign setting come out uh, last year. So it uh, doesn't really surprise me too much that they're, they're doing this, but I think that they're still, we kind of talked about it before where we're, we're kind of seeing some people that are rubbed the wrong way, that they're not seeing some love for some of their past campaign settings uh, coming back out again, but it looks good to me. I, I love the, uh, I love uh, Greek mythology. My kids love Greek mythology, so this is a really easy way for them to get into it. Mm. Oh, definitely. definitely. And it definitely scratches that itch. Um, You'll hear me say this every once in a while, uh, but yes, I got to play test this one too. (laughs) Um, And it definitely definitely hits the the Greek mythology uh, notes very, very nicely. the new the new races that are in there the monsters they have they have a unique feel and even if you're one of those uh players a D fans that are like well it's magic the gathering i don't want it in my game this is a great way to grab some monsters that your players haven't seen before mm. you know one of the things that i thought about when i saw this announced is I think there actually is a demand out there for a Greek setting. Um, I, I, we, we've seen Kickstarters, we've seen third-party publishers put out their own interpretations of what a Greek setting would look like. So I definitely think there's... I, I feel like Theros is getting about a 50-50 reaction. Not necessarily polarizing, maybe, as much as some of the other stuff. Like Wildmount is definitely a polarizing product. Oh, yeah. Um, but But... It seems like there's people that are like, "Oh, great! This is a this is a Greek setting, and I, I I'll I'm excited about that." And I think that there's also then people who are like, "Well, I'm I wanted a Greek setting, but I don't want a Magic the Gathering setting." And why are we getting a second Magic the Gathering setting? And they're kind of hung up on this idea of it being magic. Um, Troy, you you've play tested it, and you know a little bit more than we do. And I, I don't think any of us here are MTG aficionados. No, um, not at all. So, but but maybe you could help. How much of the overarching universe of MTG is in this Theros book, or does it really just feel like its own little, uh, his its own world, and it's it's you can ignore everything else? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, to me, I know I know next to nothing about Magic: The Gathering. Uh, I I was definitely a, a gamer when Magic first hit. And I tried to play Magic. Um, I could not wrap my head around it because I'm looking at the art on the card <laughs> and the little blurb at the bottom. Oh, I want that spell. Oh, I want that monster. <laughs> and and that's how I built my deck. Not 
not in any kind of strategic way, but this is the kind of planeswalker I want to be. And this is how, (laughs) you know, these are the kind of spells and things I want to throw. And needless to say, I never won a game. So (laughs) I know nothing really about any of the lore behind any of the sets or the different planes. Um, I read some of the comics from way back when. And in reading uh, what I was given for the, the Mythic Odyssey of Theros, I mean, if you didn't have that Magic the Gathering, you know, placard on the front of that book, I wouldn't know it. I wouldn't know it came from Magic. Hmm. It just seems like a really cool Greek setting with a lot of interesting flair and flavor to it to me. And to me, it's same thing with Ravnica. If it didn't have Magic the Gathering on the front of it, I'd have thought you were just giving me a fantasy version of Coruscant. Hmm. And well, well, you know, and if you look at the the description that they gave you, it's it has received a supernatural gift from the gods. You know, new races, new subclasses, encounter mythical monsters, wield god weapons, signature items of the gods that allow your character to stand apart from other heroes. So there's actually, let me pose this, posit this to to you. So aside from the Magic the Gathering and the Greek mythology, I wonder if this is the attempt to engage players at tier three and tier four play. Right, because the big complaint that you've had in the past is that the rules break down and the the ease as a DM of challenging your players once you hit tier three and tier four is nigh impossible. Right, so I wonder if what they're trying to do now is they're trying. There's maybe some experimentation that's going on with engaging those tier three and satisfying those tier three tier four players that are godlike anyway. These superheroes of the cosmos. <laughs> And let them let them engage in these climactic battles with the gods on, on another plane of existence. Mm-hmm. That is a good that is a good uh, good way to look at that because you know Greek mythology always you had the uh, the everyman kind of mm-hmm. stories where you know they were plucked out of obscurity and became great heroes, and then you also had you know the Heracles and stuff like that that were just going toe to toe with you know. The gods themselves. So yeah, you've got the the big swing. You can tell the low level stories. You can tell the high level stories, and it makes sense and it fits. It's not mm. like, well, why am I why am I doing this in Forgotten Realms? I mean, you've got Elminster and Lorel Silverhand and and all those other people. Why do I need to you know, mm-hmm. or why am I being picked to do this? Why aren't those right. people doing it? Yeah. That's a really good point. I I hadn't even thought about that. I I will say we we had talked about this some yesterday, Troy and I, and I think John was part of that discussion. But we talked about the fact that if they really want to make these books appeal to the D and D community at large, there's something that they have to do other than putting out a campaign setting. Right? They need yes. to put out adventures, right. and they need to put out well just content in general. They can't rely on just the DM guild to crank out whatever you know the community wants to churn out i think that they need to say you know you don't have to put out a hardcover campaign but i think that giving some focused attention maybe even an al i don't or like a i don't know what the answer is maybe it's just a short run series but you need to give us some way of dipping our toes into the setting other than saying well here's the campaign book figure it out you know <laughs> yeah it seems very you know first edition AD&D in that way or not even first edition going farther back here's the rule books now figure it out yeah right. yeah 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 give me something to pl- give me an adventure that i can sink my teeth into and go now i see how it comes together well and 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 it's telling right of all the stuff that they've put out so far and and we, we probably need to move on from this eventually we're getting hung up but it's telling <laughs> that um every other setting so far correct me if I'm wrong, has some form of AL-sanctioned presence within it. So, uh, other than Ravnica, right? Other than Ravnica. Eberron has its um, several things um, coming out on the DMs Guild, but it's also got the level 1 to 20 AL campaign they're working Mm on. Um, Acquisitions Incorporated has their own separate AL that is alive and well in all of the PAX conventions and is sanctioned by wizards. So it's got its own thing and to fantastic. get that. And really good. Yep, absolutely. Um, 
And Wildmount, of course, has a plethora of things in the works or, or coming out. Or I mean, it's got comic books. It's got everything, right? So so it's going to be just fine. Um, yeah. Ravnica is the forgotten stepchild. Um, and I hope that Theros doesn't become the second stepchild. Um, that would yes, be my one thing. Agree. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Um, let, maybe we need to when the book comes out maybe we should come back to this and see if the, anything has accumulated by that point yeah definitely uh, Okay. Um, the only other thing I have for the community pulse is we interviewed David Valentine a few weeks ago about Knights of the Shadow Realm and that campaign is ending this week it's already funded they're way into stretch goals um, you should definitely check them out it's probably just got a few days left um, Knights of the Shadow Realm on Kickstarter, uh, definitely check that out. Yes. All right. Um, yes, back it. I think uh, pretty much <laughs> all of us have, and and, and that's awesome. Yeah. So, hey, just a, just a quick aside. Yes. Uh, apparently, the Ravnica the, the Ravnica fans are a little rabid on DMs Guild. There's 273 items on this puppy. Yes. Oh. So so you're you're not wrong but go back in and look at those items and i think that you'll see um because i did a little while ago and i did with eberron too um it's not a lot of those items are just like because there's a button that you can click that's like uh you you can check a box for every single setting that your product applies to right Mm -hmm. and it costs you nothing to check the ravnica box or the eberron box and you're in a very much smaller pool of products at that point. And if your product isn't specifically Forgotten Realms lore tied, you're, you might see um, it cropping up there. Not to say there aren't great Ravnica products, because there 100% are. I'm just saying we, we could use some official ones, and we could see some more um, yeah. attention yeah, from on true. high. Yeah. So, so. Uh, Okay. Let's dive into our main topic of today, our main course. Um, this is something that we, one of us brings up and kind of takes the lead on, and then we'll just kind of discuss for a bit. I think John has our uh, topic of the day. John, take it away. What do you have for us? I do. Uh, so I've been getting a lot of feedback on my experiences as a, not a veteran DM at uh, conventions just yet, or for public play and organized events, but um, I'd I've got a pretty good finger on the pulse uh, at this point of uh, some of the conventions. I'd hope to hit the triumvirate this year with Origins and Gen Con. Well, well, that's the jury's still out on that. But what really came from Winter (laughs) Fantasy that I got was a lot of GMs, DMs, and even players were asking me about kind of my my play style and the way that I the way that I run games. And it it brought up a really good and important topic to me, which is uh, table etiquette, not for necessarily for a player, but really for a DM. You know, um, and so I kind of wanted to touch base on really the kind of the five points that I try to focus on whenever I'm sitting down at a table and I'm playing with my players. Um, I just kind of wanted to feel the the rest of you out to see if uh, if that makes sense or is that how you how you run things. So just uh, feel bear with me. Uh, oh yeah, I think the hardest thing that I've noticed at the table, especially when we're running at conventions, is maintaining an energy level. Because by the time Sunday rolls around and you've been playing, you've been running 32, 40 plus hours of Dungeons and Dragons or whatever the game is, it's just being able to maintain the same level of energy that you had on the first day. And uh, I'll be honest with you, at at the end of, about halfway through, at the end of every table, I'm exhausted. Not because I'm, you know, I'm not upset about it at all, but I've, you know, trying, what I've tried to do whenever I bring myself to the table is just a, a lot of energy, not robin williams levels of energy obviously but and and like just energy that engages speaking loud enough for people to hear me making sure that lots of hand gestures and arm movements and stuff like that and i stand up a lot uh, and a lot of Mm -hmm. i've had comments on that from other players and dms that they see that as a good trait you know because it's you're kind of like commanding the presence of the and the attention of the players not necessarily standing over them and towering over them but like you're the one that's at the fire that stands up and you're, t- you know, you're telling all the other cave people the tales, <laughs> these these legendary tales, right? Um, nice. So I think energy level is really, really important. Um, the next one is is being gracious. That the the story's not it's not your story, and you don't own it. 
Uh, we all own it when we're sitting at a, t- at a table together. And so being gracious about the spotlight and you know letting the players be heroes, you know, not just make heroic decisions or decisions that are that are impactful necessarily, but uh, they're they're gracious. You're gracious about making sure that they can have that limelight. Sometimes it's okay for them to run into a dungeon or run into a room and it's full of bad guys and they just mop the floor with them. And that's okay, you know. If you fill them with minions or whatever it is, you pull your punches if, as necessary, but ha- let them have that. Um, kind of that John Wayne moment where they go in and just mop the floor with the bad guys. I think that's really important. So being gracious, um, I, th- I think a, one of the most the key, important parts of it too is uh, not being being adversarial. Is that part you of know? being gracious to you, or is that that a whole another bullet? Oh no, I think it's a, another bullet altogether. Okay, right? is that yeah. being gracious is is more about uh, letting them be, uh, letting them being the heroes and heroines of of the story. And not trying to um, trying to over challenge for the sake of almost for vanity's sake, right? Mm. It's like and, and and giving them agency not only for their characters but really for the story too, and the direction that the story goes into. That's um, a really cool point, actually. I I want to I want to re rephrase that in, in the way that it kind of sure. clicked for me, if I could. Letting your players be the heroes does not mean that you need to be the villain. Right. Is like kind of what I'm seeing with these two statements: being gracious yeah. and not being adversarial. Yeah, they're because yeah. saying like, "Oh, yeah, that's fine. You guys could be the heroes, but I'm going to be the bad guy, and I'm going to be your foil at everything." Those are really two different uh, things that you want to avoid. Exactly, and I think that that's an old style of DM play in particular, where Very it's so. the DM versus the players. Right? Whereas for me, at least, I'm I'm not I'm not I'm for them actually. I want and what I'm really for for them is not necessarily some victory or win condition necessarily. The win condition at my table is everybody having a really great time and being able to walk away from the the, the table telling stories not in the third person but rather in the first person. Do you remember that time when that drow pulled the dagger on us and tried to stab us and I I planted a fireball right between his eyes? Like that's the way that I want to be. I we. It, those those kinds of conversations or that that kind of storytelling that to me is a win whenever they yeah. think about those things and the, the the memory of the of the engagement uh in the first person but not being adversarial is not trying to grind them down and trying to to you're not trying to win that mm-hmm. it's not me winning versus them winning it's everyone at the table winning so that's really what i mean more like by a, yeah by be, being a, a non-adversarial right cool. uh the other one is being a mediator uh, whenever you have any inter-party or inter-player conflict, um, you know there are some people, some folks are, are pretty sensitive about certain things, and you have to be sensitive to their needs at the t- at the table. Um, I've actually run games for uh, uh, military veterans in the past, so being really uh, aware of um, the things that they've gone through in the past, and myself as a military, a prior serviceman. Uh, it's important to me to make sure that I'm not pushing things too far in one direction or into another to make them uncomfortable. Uh, and so that, I think that's not just between me and the players. I think that's also me doing that for the players themselves too. So kind of being the the, the person in the middle that's trying to make sure that facilitating a good time for everybody else. And I actually got, uh, the last one that I've really got is, uh, I got this from a convention that I ran at last year at Tabletop, Nashville, uh, Nashville Tabletop Day in 2019. And that was a player came up to me and said, look, I really, I really enjoyed your play style. But I think the thing that I enjoyed the most is that you never told us no. And uh, what he meant by that was if they wanted to try something, it wasn't me slapping it down saying that's unrealistic. It's, I mean, if it was crazy, I probably would have said something about it. Or I would have, I probably would have rephrased it or reformed what they were asking mm-hmm. for, but really it's just giving them an opportunity to try really crazy things and try things that there's not a rule out there for. And then trying to go off the cuff and always trying to always say yes, but, or yes. And like, mm-hmm. yes. And roll this for me, roll that for me so that there is a, there's a, a challenge um, put in front of them to where they don't, it's not just a, an, an easy button whenever they try something new. 
But uh, trying to being able to say yes, it gives them that agency that a lot of players are really looking for, where they don't want to be railroaded. They don't mind if the story's railroaded a bit, but they don't want their player options railroaded either. Ooh, that's a good. That's a good line right there. That's a yeah. really good point. Um, yeah, because I think everybody understands that you're going to the table with a story to be told. Right. Um, but yes. but what they want to avoid is you telling them how their characters must respond to that story. Right. Right. Even to their own detriment, you know, that, and I think that having a, that's kind of where the mediator part comes into play too. And mm-hmm. this goes back to what Catherine was talking about earlier, uh, previously about, um, you know, how do you, how do you warn your players ahead of time or let them know that this, this may work at this table, but not at the next table. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that mediator, mediatorship is, is really important and maintaining that dialogue with them on, um, kind of what your expectations are and what the what theirs are. I would uh, yeah. Let's dive. So let's dive into those five. If anybody has any any thoughts of them, and then if you would if if anybody has any other pieces that they would add to these bullet points or additional bullet points, where if they what I really want is for Troy or someone <laughs> to 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 have us have something to say in in contrast to one of these if if they do. Well, what, you, mean, you mean like devil's advocate? One, well, <laughs> yeah, <there's>, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, uh, so no, but uh, I, I love these five. Uh, I think that they're great. But maybe I'll start off with with being a little bit of a devil's advocate. Um, uh, and when you say never say no, and 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 you 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 clarified that in a beautiful way. I thought. Um, that being said, that being said, um, I. I find more and more as I, we, we talked about this last episode a little bit, but we're seeing more and more people coming into the hobby um, with their experience being watching the game being played on a stream, right? Um, yes. Critical role, whatever it might be there. We're seeing that. Um, and these players come in and a lot, what, what I find is that a lot of them have, this is not to their detriment. It's just because they're new, but they have a lot of limited knowledge of the actual rule set and a lot of excitement to play the game. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so what I would say is, especially with the newer crowd, we'll put it that way, because um, especially with the newer crowd, I feel like I, I, I am starting to say no more often. Um, only because I think that there are rules to the game that must be followed otherwise we are just telling a story and that's fine that's great and we can all tell a story but if we want to play a game then the game has rules that to some extent have to be followed and uh, Troy talked about last week how it's sometimes our responsibility as a dungeon master of a table especially a table of new people to steer them through the normality of a standard game um and i would so i guess what i'm trying to get at there is that um i think that there's a space for no i think that that space has to be done with a lot of your bullet number two graciousness right mm-hmm. um yeah, where, I, and number I think three i know what you're trying i think i know what you're trying to say there yeah and i think it's you know it used to be always yes and yeah now i see more of a a reason to say no but yes you know Mm -hmm. i see what you're trying to do Mm -hmm. and you're 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 a first level character trying to do something you know that a 20th level character would kind of be unsure of so i understand this but let's let's dial it back a bit make it a little bit more in game so no you can't do what you asked but how about this instead? Yes, yes. And kind of give them a, a springboard for that. Yes, yes. Uh, we're we're going to have a story here in a minute <laughs> about <laughs> yes. a really weird incident. And there was a lot of uh, no but or, well, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's come to a consensus <laughs> together. Um, so, but uh, I mean, I, I, that being said, Never say no is the perfect way of saying that, and then just adding caveats for certain situations. Um, sure, you know, and I'll I'll kind of I'll counter the 
those state the devil's advocate with this too is i think that a lot of that has to do with your your dungeon mastering style too the storytelling style because for me if i were to really expound on never say no or try to say yes it's also i want i really want to be able to say yes so sometimes there's some coaching that has to go into it too or i need to pull more from them it's like all right well i want to jump 500 feet in the air well, you know what? That, I think everybody would like to do that. Why don't you give me a little bit more information about what you're trying to do? And then kind mm-hmm. of coaching them through that to get really to the point where I don't have to say no. And, I'll, and it, right. the, we can we can get to yes Ooh, together. Yeah. That's a cool way of uh, – man, John, you are just you're, – you're, you're, you're running – Full throttle tonight. I'm on fire, baby. Yeah, you're man. A, gosh. You're a font. Yes. <laughs> you are a font. Like, my God, I think that's the greatest, <laughs> the greatest compliment I've ever received. The font. Yes. Catherine, so, is there I'll, anything? I'll send you a t-shirt. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. So, um, I don't have anything to say specifically about those five. It's actually piggyback, piggybacking off of something that you said, Zach. Um, that I kind of see a lot of is the the di- the mindset of there being a kind of a split or dichotomy or whatever mm. um, between coming at D and D like a game and coming at D and D like a story. Um, and you know, I will admit to <laughs> I will admit to blasphemy at the beginning of my. Uh, the the first couple of sessions that I ran uh, were for a few of my friends and there were a couple of times where I was like you know what, we're telling the story this way so I don't care that this rule that this rule says that and now I've dialed that back a lot and I've been like actually a good fantasy story is consistent and for consistency you need rules so hmm. so or any you know, any anything involving magic or um, a specific skill set, like featuring a specific skill set or anything, um, any story with with that aspect to it is going to need consistency in how the rules of the the function of the skill and the function of the magic and stuff like that work out. So uh, I just kind of wanted to touch on that for a second and be like, maybe maybe it it would help the uh, you know, the, the quote-unquote story crowd and the quote-unquote game crowd or, you know, whatever they're labeled um, to kind of gel a little bit is is to remember that, that the story is the story is better for the rules. Mm. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. <clears throat> um, <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, I... Yeah. I have I have one other thing to to bring up with ties to these bullet points, and that's the one that we really haven't talked a lot about, which is the being a mediator. Mm. Oh my gosh, is this one that I think every one of us struggle with? It's hard. Uh, yeah. You know. It's, oh yeah. You know it's it, and and of all these others, I think all the others are like, of course, yeah, and we nod our heads to them. And I think when 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 John said being a mediator, I, I stopped nodding my head. <laughs> At least me, I'm like, oh gosh, I don't even want to think about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be... <sighs> I don't want that responsibility, right? That's at least the idea that pops mm-hmm. into my head. Whether How that plays out at the table might look a different way. But in my head, it's always that. Like, well, that's 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 a part of this that I don't want. Um, so so I, I, guess, I guess leaning into my pain for a moment, uh, I'd like to touch back up on that. Um, I think I think that the statement that's used a lot is just, oh, well, just be an adult about it. And if there's a problem or there's an issue or there's a whatever, just talk about it like adults, right? Well, the issue is that most people, most adults don't talk about it. <laughs> don't talk about yeah. their problems. Don't talk about their problems. Don't talk about their issues. Don't whatever, whatever, right? Um, that's not that's not the norm. And so uh, I guess I guess I just like to kind of have our roundtable discussion kind of hit on that a little bit and see what 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 does mediating a table feel like or look like to each one of you. 
I well, I don't think I'll, I'll take a stab at. Actually, you know what? Go ahead, yeah, Kenneth. Yeah. Well, no, go ahead. I just talked a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we all have. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what it would look like to me, because right now I mainly run through uh, through a chat based Discord thing. Hmm. Um, so what it would look like to me is um, checking on players whose characters uh, recent actions may have triggered negative reactions from several other characters if that makes sense hmm. um, if like just just checking in to make sure it's it's the same as if you were around a table in real life, just taking a moment to 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 kind of glance over at the person whose character just did something like outlandish or something that was um, not received well by the other characters, um, because I've found I've found frequently that like um, where a lot of misunderstandings can start is like so and so's mad at me. Well, no, the 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 player isn't mad at them. It's just the character, but the person feels like the player's mad at them. Like, so just, just making sure, just shooting them a message or something to make sure that they're cool um, and that they know that they can talk to you if something comes up and just trying to read um, trying to read things and then, you know, maybe shift throw in an NPC or throw in some dialogue that will highlight somebody that's not getting highlighted as much, you know watching for possible frustrations and maybe even jumping in before they become frustrations, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Pre Preemptive mediation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like jumping in indirectly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, let me, I'll try to take a stab at that too. The, uh, the mediatorship. So I think a pretty good example is running for, if we're talking about adults, right. But I, I think a really good, topic that we need to probably bring up at a later date is and go into more depth into is running games for kids yeah, or, yeah. Or for kid, for people that are under 17 right and so i think that what i'm going to pull from is running a home game with friends and then incorporating my son into it 12 13 years old and he plays the murder hobo so well whenever he's at the <laughs> table and you, and you have a bunch of really mellow mature adults that are playing a game that they're trying to play in a mature manner with a mature mentality don't split the party don't go flying off the handle don't do this that and the other and they've all agreed that they really want this 13 year old kid to play with them but then there's also this the the, the burr that's created that's that's put underneath the saddle mm -hmm. whenever the kid wants to run out and charge in like Leroy Jenkins and fight all the guys. After, we just spent 45 minutes trying to plan this next attack that we're going to do, but this the, the kid's going to run out and be a kid. He's going to be 13 years old, right? And so I think it's, for me, there are two things that I've learned about it. A, I've had to learn that it's really difficult to do this with my own kid. <laughs> That's like the worst mediation <laughs> that I've had to do. Is trying to, it, But I think what, I, it, what I've learned is that your, your ability to mediate is not going to be you're going to have just as much luck at the table as you would in real life. So if you don't already have those mediation skills and patience and a heart for it outside off away from the table, you're going to, I think you're going to struggle with it at the table too. So uh, because it and that things like, you know, don't don't call them out right then and there. Wait for a break. Talk to them separately. Talk to the group separately and say, "Hey, he's my kid and I know he's doing this that and the other. You guys just be cool about it. I'm working on him, right?" Um, I think there's a lot of that that goes into it, but what I also learned, and I think what, what I kind of want to bring forward is I've also over-mediated sometimes, you know, like with my kid, like I, I'm, I'm the most aware person of my child being immature because it's a reflection. I, I perceive it to myself, at least a reflection on me being a parent. The more immature my kid is at 13, the, the more terrible I am as a dad, right? And so I overdo it. It's like, oh, no, stop, stop doing that, man. You got to stop doing that. Relax, relax, relax. And we'll have, you know, side conversation, side conversation. And all I've ended up doing in that instance was I just ended up stifling him. And then at the end of the session, I'm like, hey, sorry, guys. When we're kind of hanging out afterwards outside, BSing before everybody leaves. And they're like, what are you talking about, man? He was being 13 years old. Leave him alone. 
I'm like, oh, okay. So everybody was totally cool with it. I'm, I'm the one that's being a tool about it. So yeah. I think there's kind of like there's all this give and take that you have to end up. Uh, and it's, and it is to your point, Zach. It is tough, man. Mediation is it is the hardest point of the of, of the five that I ended up giving out there, and it's definitely something you either you have or you don't have. Yeah, but you can get better at it. Well, let me let me let me throw out a little thing, and this is I, I think we're all convention DMs here, so I'm I, I, it's it's obligatory for me to say this, right? One place where you don't have to be a mediator at a convention, at least not mm. for the major incidents, right? Um, right. So so what I what I would say is carry that same attitude into your game store. If you're not running conventions but you're running at a store, carry it to that. If something's actually a major issue, if there's a player that's actually disruptive, if there's someone that is just not getting along with your current table, it does not have to be your responsibility. You can take that break, like like John said, take that break. You can call it a night early or whatever you need to do, and then hand this problem to your administrators, to your owners of the shop, and say, look, we have an issue. Instead of it being a big issue at the table, I'd like you know, for us to just figure out how we want to address this, you and me, and then maybe can, we can give an answer from on high um, or however they want to handle it. Right. Um, but, mm-hmm. but sometimes being a mediator knows when it's not, you, you don't, it doesn't have to be you and it shouldn't be you and it yeah. should be, it can be somebody else. <laughs> or at least, or at least not you solo. Oh yeah. 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 That's yeah. a good way of putting it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, okay. I actually like that Troy shared responsibility. There is there yeah, is some comfort in that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I have heard horror stories where you know the game store owner or the the facilitator that's putting organizer that's putting together the the D and D nights are just like oh, it's your table, you you deal with it. Yeah, and right. that's sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. There's a certain level at which that's true, and I think that there yeah. it, it, at some point though it crosses a threshold into this is this is bigger than me. It's something that's disrupting multiple people, and it's not a me pro- having a problem with this person. So we need to kind of figure it out as a as an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But anyhow, uh, are we good with that, or do we want to move on? What do you guys think? I, I just wanted to say, you know, the for me, the being gracious and the not being adversarial, I tie those two together, and mm-hmm. I I like to tell people that come to my table, it's like, okay, I am probably your characters second biggest fan behind you guys Hmm. Hmm. my npcs however probably want to gut you and eat your liver (laughs) (laughs) accurate and so you know i i try and make them understand that you know i get just as excited when you guys do cool crazy stuff you know as if if it were me playing Hmm. but i'm going to play my 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 monsters and stuff as as a as a good challenge, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So just know that, you know, and I and I don't like I don't like to go hard at it and try to kill them and stuff, but I do want them to feel like there are stakes in the game. Yes. But yeah, I am their biggest fan. I want to see them complete the module. Mm-hmm. I want to see them find all the little hidden doodads and things like that. But I'm not yeah. going to hand them to them either. Yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to earn it. That I think is a really good segue <laughs> into our palate cleanser. <laughs> yes. It ties in so well. Um, so let's dive into that. Let's talk about um, a story that one of us has had at our tables. Um, so the palate cleanser is meant to be. It can be more lighthearted. It's definitely a change of topic, and uh, we're just going to spend a little bit of time on this story and then chat about maybe elements that popped up throughout it. So I am actually going to lead this segment, and I have the story of Tector the Warforged. Now, Troy, you're going to have to help me with some of the aspects of the story because you were there. I Um, was there. You were there. Um, (laughs) And I will keep this as tight as possible. Um, But we had a – we were playing an epic, an Eberron epic multi-table event, and – the rules of this epic um, were such that it specifically stated no characters can die in this adventure. Um, something is keeping them from passing on. So if they drop to zero, um, they stay there. They don't make death saves. 
Um, and we, we don't know why yet. That's that's to be determined later on in the campaign. But this is a level one or a tier one epic. And, and what we know is that the characters aren't supposed to die. Mm. <clears throat> I had a table that I was running. Uh, a kid was playing a Warforged Barbarian going crazy. His name was Tektor27. And um, lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, the Barbarian took a ton of damage. Uh, <laughs> uh, so much so, in fact, that at one point, um, just just unfortunate roll on his end and then an unfortunate roll added to it on my end meant that he uh, rolled a 100 and then a 1 on a uh, D100 random uh, random chart table. Uh, wow. So the extreme opposite ends, which culminated in, according to the text, his character took a, a, a enormous amount of fire damage, which the text said, if it drops them to zero hit points, they turn to ash. Oh, Immolation. Immolation. Oh, no. Yes. So, so this is an AL module, um, AL epic, and you could say, well, this is just an oversight, and it is, right? But, but the result is that we have a we have two statements that both have to be abided by. This character cannot die, but but according to the text, according to the rules of this natural one on a on a D one hundred, he is immolated and turned to ash. <laughs> and i i said uh hang on guys we got to figure this out i told them what the issue was i said we'll, we'll figure something out um and so uh troy actually happened to be uh admitting that that epic and uh so we pull I pulled him over and i'm like dude look at this like we've got we've got an issue here <laughs> um and and i think troy what you said was well he can't die I was like, he, he, yeah, because you, you looked at me and said, here's what he rolled, and that's what happened. And I think my initial response was, oh. Yes. <laughs> to which the table said, oh, man, the admin doesn't even know what's going on. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, he's like, and yeah, Zach, you said, what what should we do? And all I can say was, well, he can't die. Yep, yep, yep. And so what we determined was Eberron, they're in the Mornlands of Eberron. They're in this crazy spot where crazy stuff happens all the time. Spells are going off like crazy. Um, and there are living spells within the confines of the Grey. And this is a well-known fact about this area of Eberron, is that there are these living spells that inhabit the area. And I said, well, what could we turn him into a living spell? Because it... it, it it meets both criteria. He can be turned to ash, and we can make him some sort of an ash spell. And he also doesn't die. Basically, I think uh, living spells have the construct um, uh, type, but but for general purposes, he's not dead. <clears throat> and I think that's what, that's basically what we went with. Uh, we we snagged a dust devil spell, second level spell. We turned him into a dust devil. Um, I gave him all the same stats, except I gave him a fly speed, and I gave him some like a gust of wind and gust and mage hand and some spells like that. Um, and I said, here, here's some spells that you can cast. Here's how many times you can cast them. You can't do anything else. And the negative effects of it being a dust devil is that no one can stand next to you or they're going to take damage and be shoved away. Um, so you're in trouble even with your allies. Um, and uh, that was the result. We, we uh, Luckily, I was able to run him through the rest of his weekend of gaming at the convention. He got to continue playing his Tektor, the living spell, the living dust devil. Um, for the rest of the weekend um, he had a great time his table had a great time i think um, and it all worked out um, but yeah that's my story and i guess my question would be to you guys is do you do you have any other examples or what do you think about or how do you respond when ale rules fail you yeah and that's and that's kind of like the key here um that a lot of you know a lot of people don't they, they feel really constrained by AL rules. And in the first part of those modules, it says, you know, 
the DMs are empowered to make the game fun. Yes. Um, as long as you're not going, you know, way out of bounds or way overboard, and as long as the player understands that only only for the time that you're at my table can you be sure that this will work. I think that's a key. And um, I actually went and spoke with uh, one of the Eberron um, admins and one of the authors of said adventure. And, I mean, they he thought, there actually a couple of them, and they thought it was a really cool solution. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't know what to do going forward <laughs> from there if they're going to you know if they're going to make a special cert or or ruling that this that this uh person can go ahead and keep playing his dust devil um but through through much conversation with with uh different people um we kind of at least i kind of glommed on to an idea of he was he's a dust devil but he he has to be contained in some way so basically he can go back to play his old form hmm. so hmm. that way if he goes to another table he can still be tector 27 the dust devil but here i am i i'm you're in a warforged, warforged suit. barbarian yeah yeah i'm a warforged barbarian on the page but what you all see is a dust devil or, you know, something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it, all that is, is a massive amount of reflavoring. Yeah. So, you know, you can reflavor until your heart's content. And if, if you get a DM that says, no, I don't like that. Okay, fine. I'm a normal looking warforged or elf or whatever it is you might be playing. And, and there you go. Or you go to another table, the DM's like, yeah, cool, you could be a tree guy walking around, and you're just an actual, you know, you're just a wood elf. But yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you can look like however you want. So yeah, it, it, it's all about having fun. You shouldn't feel hamstringed by the AL rules, really. Yeah, I've got, I've had an instance of that happen, actually, uh, pretty recently at one of my tables. So uh, it's not necessarily... It's in the same vein, but it's not exactly the same, right? So one of the problems that you have with Tier 3 players, we've talked about this earlier when we were talking about Mythic uh, mythic Odysseys of Theros, is that Tier 3 and Tier 4, it's hard to challenge them sometimes. They just come in and obliterate everything that you, you throw at them. And so sometimes, and I'm pulling the curtain back on the man behind it for a second here, and I'm actually <laughs> rethinking whether or not I should say this and reveal this to my players in the openly in public, but sometimes you got to throw more hit points at a bad guy. Sometimes no, you got to no, sometimes you got to bump their AC, right? <laughs> no. Shut your line mouth. Only, only by the rules. <laughs> Never, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean like I, I know that that and that goes against the shared experience of of AL, right? It's like everyone should have the same level of challenge and all the you know, everything like to the letter, by the letter, right, rules as written, that kind of stuff, right? So but at the same time, though, it's to me, it's more important because my my players need a challenge. They need some threat. They need some anxiety, in order to really relish the accomplishment that I want so badly to give them. That I need to make them work for it. And sometimes mm-hmm. that means tweaking things a little bit on the on the back end. Nothing egregious or crazy or anything like that, but just enough to where it provides at least some level of of difficulty to them. Instead of them just going in, cleaning house, and then being done an hour early out of a four-hour session. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll kind of jump onto that as well. And I'll give a shout-out here, if I may. Um, I'm going to shout-out the the GM Tim, um, a wonderful DM and a good buddy from uh, Canada, um, (laughs) who who said something really great um, with regards to this whole incident. He said, make sure... That your player knows that stress it over and over and over again that your ruling may not be the official ruling and your ruling may not be the next DM's ruling. Set the expectations, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're if you set the ex- expectations of oh 
well, this happened to you. Oh, here's what you get to do. And you don't tell them if you don't say, hey, this is our ruling for our table. The next DM is going to have to, you know, create it all, be prepared to go back to your old character. However, however, that needs to be said, right? Um, if you don't set those expectations right then and there, you're setting that player up for either disappointment, frustration, or conflict, potentially, down the road. Yep. Um, so I think I think that, like Troy said, there's that paragraph at the beginning of, of the AL disclaimer, right? That's like, hey, you're empowered as the DM to make your call. Well, guess what? The next DM is also empowered to make their call. So exactly. it's important that the players have a good grasp, have their expectations kind of at a balanced level. And they and, and and hype up the fact that you have a story that you can take with you that no one can take away from you, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if anybody out there hearing this uh, wants to know more about Tektor, we haven't heard the last of him yet. Yes. In one way or another. <laughs> so just want to throw that out there as a teaser, and we'll we'll talk more about that in in, uh, in down the line. So. Yep. I love but it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> definitely more to come with Tektor. All right, let's move on. We're, we're a little bit longer than we've been, uh, so let's move on to our dessert segment, Hidden Gems, those tidbits that we fell in love with this week. Um, I think that myself, John, and Troy all have tidbits to share. Um, I think so. Uh, so let's see. I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to say um, I picked up the first uh, uh, trade paper, or whatever it's called, of the Vox Machina Origins comic. Yeah. Very nice. Um, I am not... I, I have never purchased a D&D comic before. Um, I'm not a huge comic collector. Oh. I like my Batman stuff and a few other things. But I'm not a huge comic book collector. Um, but we're, we're in the middle of this uh, pandemic. And uh, I, I thought my kids would love it. <laughs> um, uh, we'll see if that turns out to be true uh but but i picked it up it's gorgeous it's really good art um it's a really good story i know john you're a huge fan of uh the colville uh matt oh, colville. The colville yes <laughs> and uh he oh he wrote or had a hand in writing the dialogue or the script yeah. for this and yes it's yeah, i heard of that it's 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 high quality stuff i i got into critical role late I guess it's still probably early in the grand scope of things, but um, I'm a season two person. I, I never went back and watched season one Vox Machina, but uh, I found this to be really fun to engage with, read the whole thing at this point. So uh, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, even if you're not a fan of Critical Role, it's a really fun D&D story, and I think you're going to get some uh, really fun uh, story beats out of it. Some really fun. They're doing some really interesting things with visually showcasing spells that I really like. Mm. Um, so for that alone, I would say it's worth checking out. I think you get it for like 12, 14 bucks. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. Who else has Let's something? Check that out. Let's see. Uh, John, give us, give us your, uh, give us your spiel. You got it. All right. So this week I'm in love with two minute tabletop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two Minute Tabletop, uh, the guy's got a YouTube channel that I follow religiously at this point. So I'm a big map guy. I've already, I think I've already established that pedigree here. Uh, love maps, love drawing them. And uh, not only does he have tutorials that are online that are really easy to follow, uh, and has re- I, I really like his art style. His style is really easy for you to be able to pick up if you're an intermediate level uh, map maker. But on top of that, he also has a pa- Patreon uh, that uh, we'll put a link to, obviously, uh, that has just a plethora of additional maps. So if you're out there, we're all looking for map objects and map assets to use in our virtual tabletop games. And when we get back to the table with one another, we're going to want to be able to print those out. This is another really great one. Uh, and so I cannot recommend him enough. Again, I love his art style. He's got a really like a muted color palette uh, as opposed to the 
the person that I've, I've recommended last time, uh, it was a little bit more vibrant, really brilliant colors. This is a little bit more muted, a little bit more realistic. I really like that art style. So love it. Oh my gosh. Two minute yeah. tabletop. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm looking at the art right now. It's, it's, it's top notch. You're not going to be it disappointed. Is. He's, he posts some textures. I see him sometimes and I, I didn't, uh, honestly, I've never found him. Uh, I never checked out his page, but he posts some like, um, like road textures and things on uh, the Facebook group sometimes for people to check mm. out. So yeah. Yeah, he he's he's cool. Um, uh, Catherine, you have something for us? This is cool. Yeah, uh, just a a small little two second thing. Um, I I actually am less on Twitter and more on Instagram. Mm. Um, and that sometimes means that I run into some different content creators. Ooh, uh, cool. And the one of the ones that I've been following for a long time is a guy named Bardic Tales. Um, he he does a couple of different things, many many different, very specific, like D one hundred or D twenty roll tables. Like there's one, there's there's some for specifically a da- tavern barkeep generator. Uh, there's one for magic land effects. He just the way he he has them set up, and the um, the specific quirkiness that he includes in a lot of them, I personally really enjoy. I use a lot of his stuff for my for my Discord. Um, so it's just a fun, hmm. it's it's a fun place if you are like I want to inject a lot of flavor into this campaign and I need a little bit of a a push to create enough specifics on the fly Hmm. kind of a thing or if your players are like you know the classic example of um you you create like three different options for them to travel you know to this tavern or to that town or whatever and then they choose like option number 27 and you're Hmm. like okay now i have to come up with a whole (laughs) a whole city or a whole scenario like on the fly you could use a lot of these different tables and fill it out really fast that's awesome yeah, and he's really cool. <laughs> well, and I like awesome. I like his Instagram a lot. Um, I've looked at him before. Mm-hmm. I think you've you've you you've hyped him before to me. He's, I have. Yes, it's a really cool. Uh, <laughs> he, he's got a style. He's got uh, consistency, and mm-hmm. so it's it is something that you can almost use as a reference tool because it's not watered down or diluted with a whole bunch of stuff that yeah. that gets in the way. It's just random table after random table that that you can pull from and, and organize and, and use in your games. So I mm-hmm. like it. Cool. Awesome. We'll definitely post a link to him. And then, uh, yeah. Troy, what do you got for us? Well, uh, I, with it, with this, with this downtime going on right now, uh, I just got to play my first session of call of Cthulhu seventh Ooh. edition. Ooh. And, uh, yeah. And actually, Zach was the uh, the game master for it. The keeper, as they're called. The keeper, yes. yes. The keeper. Yes. Uh, it was a really fun little session. I mean, the the system is pretty pretty easy to grasp onto, um, and yeah, the story the story just kind of you know unfolds a lot of a lot of role playing. Um, there was no combat. You know, it was it was a lot of fun. I I really enjoyed it. I would, I could see playing more sessions of that. Uh, maybe not those characters, but you know, <laughs> you're gonna have a hard a, time a, playing that character again, Troy. I'm sorry to say, it's oh, no. well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, he's what 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 did John say before we started? He said Call of Cthulhu, like a long campaign is three sessions or something like that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we don't always have to talk about D and D here. So um, if you're looking for something different to play something with a, a little bit more of a you know role playing bent more more mental type thing call of cthulhu was was a lot of fun and it is. not too i mean there wasn't a whole lot of gross gotcha scenes um luckily i think i don't know if we just avoided them all cuz we were so scared or or what the deal <laughs> was but 
Um, you guys, yeah. you guys, yeah. We, we, we need to we need to save a lot of this for another session. But uh, you, you guys, you guys found enough clues to get you in trouble, and that is about it. <laughs> I don't think it was the I don't think it was the clues that got me in trouble. And that's fair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So you know, for those of you out there that have some time, uh, extra time that you don't normally have, uh, jump on Roll Twenty. They've got all kinds of you know Call of Cthulhu stuff on there for you. Yep. Give it a shot. It's yep. pretty pretty easy to grasp onto. Yes, Chaosium is putting out a lot of free content right now, so uh, Call of Cthulhu is definitely a good option for those of you who are holed up and want to try a new setting. It could not be easier, at least at the moment. So, um, yeah. awesome. Well, guys, we went a little bit long, but that's fine. We're still doing great. Um, I really appreciate you all coming out and sitting around the table and discussing this with us. And um, thank you to all of you for listening. All right, yeah, well, we'll catch y'all later. Thanks for tuning in. Have fun and stay safe. Yep, take care. <laughs>